today we're deviating a little from our usual program. Uh, we will be talking about the Silent Film Festival in Bowness uh, in Scotland. And I'm joined by Richard, of course, and by our very special guest, uh, Pamela Hutchinson, uh, whom you might know uh, from her uh, regular column in Sight and Sound or from her writing uh, in The Guardian or other uh, national and international newspapers, or indeed for her uh, BFI classic on Pandora's Box. So welcome, Pam. Hello, it's really fantastic to be here, to be back podcasting with you, Jose. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about Bonas? I have never been, right? And I've always wanted to, and I'm very curious about it. So so what is Bonas? Bonas is a small town in Scotland. <laughs> um, <laughs> for people like me who love silent cinema, Bonas is, is short, shorthand for uh, the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival, which is affectionately known as Hipfest, which is probably what we'll end up calling it today. So there's a, a cinema in this town of Bonas um, that was built in 1912. So, you know, it's, it's 110 years old and it's one of the oldest cinemas in Scotland, I think, possibly the oldest. It hasn't always been open, but recently it reopened, has a full programme and about uh, 10 or 12 years ago they started having a silent film festival every year and it's really taken off the uh, festival is is run by a woman called Alison Strauss who's the sort of uh, who programs the cinema all the year round as well but uh, she uh, she knows her silent film and so there's a lot of crowd-pleasing you know early morning comedy matinees but there's also a lot of quite um, out there and surprising archive cinema in this festival and so it does bring us back to the cold north again and again. I must say, I've been looking at the brochure and the programme, uh, you know, just uh, uh, to brush up a little bit for this interview with you here. And, uh, you know, it's Im immensely impressive. It's, uh, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the kind of cultural event, maybe much more prevalent 30 or 40 years ago than now. I, you know, it is a, a film festival, so, you know, they're showing things that they've gathered that particular year from all over the world. On the other hand, it is uh, supported by, you know, superb program notes from incredibly accomplished people. Uh, and also there are musicians and all kinds of special guests. It seems very impressive. So, so can, can, can you tell me what it was like this year? I mean, this year is the second time I've been. I, I, so I went in 2019 and I was hoping to be there in 2020. And obviously that didn't happen. This, this was the, I think it was a pretty much the first thing to get cancelled and also actually the first thing to go online because they, they did a, an online event in, I think, in March or April 2020. Um, it was later in the summer, I think. We did um, we did Dr. Jekyll and Miss Tide. I say we. I didn't have anything to do with it. I did the introduction, but I didn't arrange it because I'm no great shakes uh, <laughs> And then last year they did a full online festival. I mean, not not as full as, as this programme. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it, as, I mean, as Pamela said, it's a mix of these kind of early morning crowd pleasers um, and these really quite, um, I mean, esoteric is the wrong word, but quite, quite sort of you know, world-class events, really, you know, interesting stuff from worldwide archives with interesting music. Uh, but I love the way it does engage with the local community. Um, so the, there's, there's a couple of kind of early morning programmes of, of uh, slapstick shorts, uh, which get a lot of young people, a lot of families with kids turning up. And the, the best thing I saw before one of those was this mother walking to the cinema with her son who must have been like four 
and she was explaining to him what they were going to go and see. And she's like, as I, as I told you earlier, you know, in the olden days, they didn't know how to put music on film. So she was kind of explaining the whole concept of silent film and, and of live music and, and so on to this four-year-old kid who was very excited about the whole idea. But then in the afternoon, they showed her, you know, the earliest surviving Chinese silent feature film based on a Guy de Maupassant story, which was just you know, completely different and was, was also excellent. So that, that's, I, th I think, what I love about it. Because I don't think you get that feel from um, other festivals. I mean, from, certainly you don't, you don't really at Bologna. I've never been to Pordenone. Well, I mean, you, you get comedy at Pordenone, but the way that it's structured is kind of, um, you know, you know, very serious programming and, and we're putting this on for this reason. And bonus, I think, because it's in this smaller town and because there's an emphasis on things like dressing up for the Friday night gala and so on, you might be forgiven for thinking, oh, this is just going to be a bit of fun. You know, on Friday night, you get to dress up and watch a Douglas Fairbanks film. But actually, and that's a brilliant thing to do and with a compliment by Neil Brand and Frank Bocchia, so you couldn't really get better. But, you know, there's, there's something a little bit more ambitious about the programming of, you know, incredible is a horrible word, but, you know, it is credible at the sort of notoriously showing hardcore Soviet documentaries on a Saturday night and getting a packed house for it. That's the thing which I love. So, you know, people will follow the thread of silent cinema through this festival. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me this year was the programme of amateur shorts which i think you, you were there for pamela uh, so it was the, this um program of like award-winning amateur short films that had been made between like 1930 and 1936 um and it was seven films that toured the world in the 30s as a as a program of films and there's been this collaboration between seven archives to put together to, you know, to recreate that program and restore those films and and, and send them around on tour which obviously got slightly curtailed because of COVID. Uh, but th th those were fascinating. And I mean, some of them were were uh, sort of travelogues, but there, there were a couple of um, sort of narrative films, uh, one particularly the, the Catalan shorts, um, whose, whose name I forget, but it, yeah, yeah which, which was, you know, this man wandering around, kind of deciding whether or not to commit suicide. It was, was a um, was fascinating, but yeah, we, we can link to it on the blog because it, it is on the Catalonia Film Archive website and is well well worth watching. Really, kind of symbolist drama, you know. Um, it's the there's a lot more to it than you might mm. expect from like an amateur yeah, cinematography yeah. program. But then the then the other one that was fascinating was the uh, the 15 year old British girl who um, supposedly flew to flew from Croydon to Egypt without her parents' knowledge in, in the early 30s and made this film of, of her trip to Egypt. And then she, she flew back with this short and then the next thing she made was, a, again, a, a surreal narrative short about uh, a post-apocalyptic post world made in 1936. One of the things that fascinates me about Bones is it feels a little bit like local hero, yeah, the Bill Forsyth film. You know, you have like this little town and it's a community and then, you know, uh, something comes from the outside and, you know, transforms this magical place uh, and its people, right? So I wanted to get a sense of both the place and the event. And if you could give, you know, an evocation or a description of what a day in, Bo yeah, in Bones during Hipfest feels like. Yeah, and then kind of move on to the highlights of, of this last year. So you, essentially the, there's one hotel in the town which is at the top of a very steep hill. <laughs> so at the start of the day, you walk down this very steep hill into the centre of town where the cinema is, 
you try and avoid going back to the hotel during the day because the hill's really steep, so you only want to do it once a day. So you, you're sort of there in the town. There, there isn't culturally, other than the cinema, there isn't really anything to do. There's a very good library. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's a there's a, a kind of steam heritage steam railway, although that, that that's shut at this time of year. That kind of thing. But yeah, there are plenty. Of, there are cafes. There's one pub. There's a restaurant. But it, it, it's a um, it's an experience where you, you know you're, you're really just there for the films. It's a nice town to wander around, but it's not a very big town. There is amazing scenery though, because you, you're on the Firth of Forth, and you can look across the water to I think where Bill Forsyth lives quite frankly. So you do have big skies and yeah, there's more than one pub, but I mean, yeah, it is, it's basically you sort of scurry from lovely cafe where lovely people take care of you and act like, you know, they're going to be a best friend forever because you've arrived in Bowness and, you know, they're like, hello, let's find out all about you to, um, to the cinema, which the cinema itself is really special. It's, it's sort of decked out in its 1920s finery. It's actually, um, it's got, it's, a round auditorium and it's got stars painted on the ceiling and red velvet seats and a balcony and you know, a little bar and it's it's great and it has god save the king bunting uh, just so you know what era <laughs> you're in although it will probably come back into date mm. quite soon I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> sorry that's is that tasteless sorry it's it's, oh, yeah. it's factually correct let's say <laughs> factually correct yes factually correct um yeah and so as soon as you get into the cinema you do suddenly get transported if you're ever the kind of person who gets a bit misty-eyed about this sort of platonic ideal of the pictures the beautiful picture palace that you went to when you were a kid it's your cinema paradiso moment as soon as you walk in yeah and they do and in terms of the the links between the town and the event there's some really cute things like they have a, a window display competition in so some of the local shops put on sort of themed window displays to tie in with the with the program of the festival and there's a there's a, a competition for the you know one, one of them will win a prize the kids get involved with the newfound sound that's local school children accompanying the film so you know as always it's sort of the kids is where you get them get, get them young and yeah, bring them into definitely. the, and, film and, and the kids that come along to the, to the snapstick shorts are, are just just so into it i mean they, they and that 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 is, that is great to see the other thing that's really cute is the um the final night gala they present the award for the best window display and it's presented by the queen of the fair who is like the bonus fair is held. I don't know when it's held, and they they will award the prize of Queen of the Fair to a, a to a, I don't know twelve year old girl each year. So she has she comes along to the final night gala wearing this massively elaborate gown, um, and and gets up to present the um, present the award, and and then has to sit down and watch. A silent film so um but but it, but it is again it, I, I can't think of any other festival that would do that you know sort of link up those two events that way it's it's really nice yeah yeah it's really sweet and obviously it's got links to places like edinburgh like the musicians for the animated cinematography program were from the edinburgh college of art and there's the confucius institute is involved so i want to ask you about that actually because you know this is a festival that has a little bit come out of nowhere you know, it's now really building into a force. And so I would like to ask you, Pam, you know, what do you think this festival is contributing uh, to our knowledge, understanding, the viewing and the circulation of silent cinema in, in the larger ecosystem of, you know, maybe European or Anglo-American culture around silent cinema? 
Well, I mean, the thing about bonus is, as I say, it's got this broad program and it has international musicians, um, as in we have, obviously we have great silent film musicians in this country, Neil Brands, Stephen Hall, John Sweeney, but also we get um, a musician from abroad and obviously uh, um, Frank Bocchius was here last this year, uh, but you have... Um, and then you have sort of celebrities, like we had, you know, Mark Kermode's um, Skiffle Band on Saturday night. But, and the films are really international. And, you know, we do have, like, Marvellous Institution, the sort of British Silent Film Festival that has a kind of more academic bent. But this is the only, like, real international standard silent film festival in Britain, in as much as it's taking, it's doing what a lot of the, the other international festivals do takes great programs from other elsewhere so the one of the closing night films l'ondulage the sort of french drama with the young charles boyer um was presented previously at the san francisco silent film festival but you know it's a long way for most people in the uk to go to see such a great film but um you know alison and i were there and we saw it and it was brought back pretty much almost the same as it was in San Francisco because it had the narration by the actor Paul McGann and things like that. So it's it's interacting with the new discoveries. The Lydia Hayward programme was something that had come out of the British Silent Film Festival. Um, some of the other films obviously were to do with project, research projects that are ongoing, like the amateur cinematography. So I do think that you're seeing things that you, you wouldn't be able to see otherwise except for the fact that Strauss and the festival are clued into this kind of international silent film dialogue. At the last in-person festival in 2019, the director of the San Francisco Silent Film Festival... Who, Rob Byrne? Yeah, that's it. And he, and he, yeah. he presented a... Uh, there was a Sherlock Holmes film that he, he, he introduced. Uh, but he was there for two or three days, not for the whole festival. But it, 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 that, that, I think, was quite a, a bit of a coup, kind of getting him getting him to come to Bowness because he, essentially it's, it's the guy from... The San Francisco Silent Film Festival coming along to see what what can he learn from Bonnets, and, and that was interesting. We've we've had the Pordenone people there. I say we have nothing to do with organising such things. And yeah, I mean it, it it it's part of this conversation between Bologna and Pordenone and San Francisco and so forth. Um, and we had the Nasty Women pro program, which has been at Pordenone and been at lots of festivals around the world, Turkey, South America, all kinds of things. So yeah, it's not uh, yeah, it's a good place in Britain to go and see what is new and exciting being discovered, being restored in the world of silent film and presented beautifully. Great. <laughs> uh, so now I want to return to the programming, but I want to make it a bit economical because obviously it seems the festival was full of treasures. So if each of you could tell me what you thought were the three highlights of this year's festival. Pam, shall we begin with you? Oh, well, that's tricky because I am, um, unfortunately, was only here for three days. So I'm going to pick um, something from each day. The opening night film was a British film about Mary, Queen of Scots, with the most beautiful uh, costumes, a British film where uh, sister actresses play Mary and Elizabeth. And we had that presented with a film explainer and also with a lecture beforehand. So I came away knowing an awful lot about Mary, Queen of Scots and uh, her Lingolithgow roots. Then I would have to say the Anima Cinematography Programme was another highlight for me. Panel beforehand, but also the music, which was jointly done by John Sweeney and students from the Edinburgh College of Art. Uh, really, really evocative films. I like the films that Richard mentioned, but I also really liked uh, the sort of City Symphony, Westminster and Winter, which was beautiful. And a film about the last days of summer, I think it was Austrian, with a few the two sisters, the little girls, um, having to go back to school after summer, really sweetly and evocatively done. And then, you know, on the, on, the, on the Friday, I'm not going to pick the wonderful programme that I was lucky enough to introduce, <laughs> but I have to say, 
you know, because, you know, everyone else will. There'll be so much acclaim. Um, but uh, Lauren Snapper presented uh, the Belgian print of a British film called Dawn, which is about nurse Edith Cavell. Cavell? Uh, however we pronounce it, who was um, shot by the Germans during the war for smuggling British soldiers. And I'd seen the film before at Pordenone, and I'd... And that's when I was introduced to the history and the story of the film. So I think the first time I watched it, I was thinking, this is what happens. Watching it again, beautiful accompaniment by Stephen Horne, actually. I really sort of saw what a nuanced and lovely film it was. Is, is, is the statue in front of the National Portrait Gallery Edith Cavell? Yes. Yeah. I think that's the yes. one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's, Right. It's, it's kind of a story of middle-aged rebels, this film, because it's sort of um, Sybil Thorndike as Edith Cavill and then her sort of three other grey-haired knitting compatri- uh, sort of co- conspirators. And you sort of think, oh, you've got to watch out for those ladies. <laughs> That's also a reason to see Sybil Thorndike, right? Because she's one of those legendary stage actors who one, you know, rarely gets to see in, in films much. What was interesting about Lawrence's talk was pointing out how controversial the film was at the time, which is something you wouldn't, you really wouldn't be aware of now. But basically, at that period, sort of 1928, I think, there, there was an attempt that relations with between Britain and Germany were 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 being improved, and so this was like not the time to inflame anti-German sentiments in the UK. You know, ten years later, it would have been fine. But uh, the you know the government essentially tried to stop the film being made and then tried to ban it. So, wow. which was was fascinating. Afterwards, we should get Pam to tell us a little bit about the, the uh, nasty women double bill that she introduced, yes. I, I, which I thought yeah. was excellent. But, I, but I, So I, I won't pick that as one of my three, but it was one of my four. Um, so I, I would say, um, other than that and the ones that Pam has already mentioned, um, I would pick out um, the, the Lydia Haywood um, double bill. So Lydia Haywood was a, a British scenario writer and uh, one of the few that gets written about at the time as being a great writer um, and so Bryony Dixon from BFI gave a talk about her showed two films one was a, a really entertaining short called The Bosun's Mates which is very, really funny based on a, a short story by W.W. W. Jacobs um, sort of about this uh, widow running a pub and this local farmer's trying to marry the widow and persuade someone to pretend to burgle the pub and you know the hilarity ensues you can probably work out what happens uh, but that, that was great fun but then a uh, a follow-up. The follow-up was a feature film called uh, Not for Sale, which was uh, was great. It was the first film with that Ian Hunter starred in, and he's a, a an aristocrat who's fallen on hard times. Ends up living in a boarding house run by this impoverished young woman who's trying to bring up her family. And you know, you can basically get you can guess how that ends as well. But it, but it was the the writing was great, which is really really really, really witty. Um, I'd also pick out. Um, a String of Pearls, which was very interesting. So this early Chinese film, so apparently the earliest surviving Chinese feature film, um, and based on Guy de Maupassant's The Necklace. So it's a, essentially the whole, the story is, is this caption comes up to tell you that this is all, it's a warning about the vanity of women. Uh, so, but Pamela, please bear this in mind. It looks like you might be wearing a String of Pearls. I, I can't really tell. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, it's, a real, it's a real thing. Okay. That's okay. But he said, he said to this woman, this, this young couple, she's going to a party. He says to her husband, I'd quite, like, I'd quite like to wear something nice at this party. So that's, that's all she says. The husband then goes off, borrows a, a very expensive string of pearls from his mate, who's a jeweler. The pearls then get stolen. Um, and, the, you know, 
all sorts of stuff ensues. They go bankrupt. The husband ends up in prison. You know, it, it's it's a great film, but then it's all you know. This caption comes up at the end again, reminding you it's all the wife's fault for being vain, which yeah. is, seemed a little bit unfair. But ah. but that, that that was that was fascinating. Um, and finally, I'd, I'd say *L'Ondulage*, which which Pam has already mentioned, but that that was an incredible film. Um, sort of translates roughly, I guess, as *Man of the Open Sea* or something like that. And it's a fisherman, and you you find out at the start that his family have have vanished due to some tragedy, and and he's, he he basically has a daughter. Then his wife gives birth to a son, and he decides he's going to bring up the son, and the wife can look after the daughter because he's just interested in the son who's going to become a great fisherman. But obviously the son turns out to be a complete wastrel um, and, you know, tragic events, trauma ensue. But it's just absolutely really beautiful film. And uh, the way it was presented was was, was fascinating because we had, as well as a musical score, we had uh, the, rather than subtitles on the French intertitles, they were translated by Paul McGann. Um, the the reasoning is that they're, they're very elaborate and very elaborately designed intertitles so in sort of superimposing subtitles would, would ruin that effect um which I, I, actually i think we could have superimposed subtitles it would have been fine but but actually paul mcgann narrating it was it was amazing because he he's clearly a very experienced actor but he's done a lot of voiceover work and had just this amazing balance between not kind of not kind of imposing his own personality or any kind of characterization on it but it, it just worked worked brilliantly and i think that's a package that i'm sure will will go elsewhere and is, is, is well worth seeing. Okay, great. Thank you, Richard. Now, Pam, talk to us about nasty women. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you about nasty women all day, Jose, and I know you'd love it. I'd love uh, so it. So nasty women, <laughs> nasty women is, I was going to say, I've used the phrase a curatorial project. That sounds um, a bit awkward, but it is a curatorial project. These two um, American academics who are doing really exciting things in the field of silent film and film generally, Laura Horak and Maggie Hennefeld, they've put together the Nasty Women programme where they basically scoured archives all around the world for films from the early and silent period, particularly the early period, where women are, you know, misbehaving on screen. It's obviously inspired, the name is inspired by the Donald Trump uh, comment about Hillary Clinton so it's it's not saying they're nasty per se so they're, they're not being as nice as they're meant to be so uh, it's, it's anarchy it's destruction it's gender play it's all kinds of things and it's they're always a hoot they've been showing their programs at Pordenone I think for the past five years or something and always an absolute highlight they've really found some fabulous things there's going to be a four disc box set out from Kino Lorber in May apparently um, for which I have contributed two audio commentaries, so I'm biased, but they are both for minute-long Victorian films, so, you know, you don't have to hear too much of me on there. Um, and so we had a Gender Rebels, Nasty Women double bill of two Western films. We had The Night Rider, starring Texas Guinan, who was a big kind of Western actor in the turn of the 20s, and we also had Faye Tincher, another sort of quite forgotten um, famous silent comedian in, in Rousey Anne, where she plays... A young woman growing up in the West who is far too tomboyish and naughty, so she gets sent to a, a sort of ladies' boarding school to uh, to make a woman of her. And uh, guess what? She causes she yeah gender nonconformity is catching. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was it was really great. We had music from Meg Morley, and it was just an honour to be part of it. To be a sort of a, a distant associate of the nasty women was a highlight of my weekend at Hit First. Uh, so I've never been uh, to Hipfest, 
Uh, and, I, you know, and I'm sure, you know, there are millions of people like me. So how, do, how does one find out about it? And uh, what would one need to do to get there next year? Okay, so um, Google HIPFEST, H-I-P-P-F-E-S-T. Um, the website's got all the information. The dates for next year, I think, are the 22nd to the 26th of March. Obviously, I would say that you'll always find information about these things on the wonderful website, silentlondon.co.uk. Um, it's not that hard to get to, honestly, because it's very close to Edinburgh. Uh, so there's a train to Linlithgow, but I mean, like this is going to sound really large, but it's, it's quite cabable from Edinburgh Airport as well, because it's, it's not actually that far from the capital. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's in Scotland, but it's quite guessable at if you are not based in Scotland. We're both from down south. Uh, Richard and I. I mean, I'm very self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I guess unlike, um, unlike Pordenone and Bologna, you don't buy. They don't sell a kind of festival pass. You have you buy tickets for individual films. So it kind of means that yeah, you has. I guess has the advantage that if you just wanted to go for the weekend, then then you, you or just one or two days, you 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 could do that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 as Pamela says, it's relatively easy to get to. It probably takes longer to get there from south of england than bologna does but that's just the way british transport works the limitation really is that there's only one hotel in the town but there, but there are places you can stay a little bit further away and you, you can work out ways of getting getting to and from i mean some people combine it with a trip to edinburgh or to linlithgow which is sort of a local town that's a little you know got a little more uh, going on so you know i mean there it does feel like there's a lot of people that turn up for the friday night gala and then saturday and sunday um so i felt quite privileged to go to sort of everything but <laughs> you know, to go and see all the stuff that's during the week this year I mean, yeah i, 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 I think that, that's probably thing. that's probably a fair comment that i this is the first time i've been for the whole thing and i, I think the the first couple of days the sort of i think starts on it's sort of Wednesday, Wednesday. From Monday to Sunday, isn't it? Sort of Wednesday and Thursday, were, you know, it was a great program, but there were fewer things on, and, and it was a, they were a bit more esoteric, or, or in some cases, a bit more focused on kind of, um, I'd say, Scottish local culture, because there's this mix of silent film and local culture, and they were a little bit more focused on the local culture, which is not a, not a criticism, just an observation. So actually, if you another. Know, Another reason to go. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly. It is, it, you're right. It, it, it's it's the, there are aspects of this festival that you won't see at any other festivals. I would say. We need to wrap up now, but before we end, uh, I mean, I've been really fascinated by the program and you know by what you've been saying about it. But if you could just offer our listeners one more reason, yeah, to either go or support Hipfest. What, uh, what would you say that uh, HipFest offers us that it's uh, uh, difficult uh, to get anywhere else in the UK? Pam? I think it is, um, it's got a lot of charm, but it's the most welcoming silent film festival, probably. I mean, that's, that's one of its many attractions, the most welcoming silent film festival that I've been to. You've just got the one cinema, and it's relatively small, and the number of people that are actually visiting from outside the local area is relatively small, and they're all... 90% of those people are all staying in the same hotel and all in the same bar at the, that hotel after the final film. So, you know, you, you will meet people and, you you know, you will be sitting in the bar and the, you know, the, 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 the musicians will wander in. And you, so you, you do have the opportunity to, to just to meet everyone and, and to talk to the performers and, and in, in a way that, that a big, something like Bologna, you can do that, but it's, it's much bigger and you, you don't. You, you can easily miss people. So yeah, it's it's a it's a great experience. I think. 
Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Pam, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are thinking a lot about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.